Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. So I am sure that pretty much everybody, unless you live underneath a rock, has already heard the news that the Supreme Court has officially handed down not just a draft leak of what they might do, but their official decision, their opinion, what they're going to do in regards to Roe versus Wade, and it is officially going to be overturned. The first thing that I wanna say is praise God. I'm gonna start this video with a prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you give to us uh, more than we deserve. Our nation, our society as a whole, our culture, has chosen to rebel against you, to be utterly wicked and heinous, uh, raging and filled with malice towards you. And because we hate you, we hate children who have been created in your image. Uh, children, all human beings, male, female, adult, child, black, white, they reveal or reflect your image, the Imago Dei, your image, but children in a unique sense as those in the womb, innocent, not yet uh, tainted by the society at large, yes, born in sin, uh, but in a great and significant way, innocent. Those children truly reflect your image. All people do, but there is something unique about a child reflecting the image of the triune God. And so, Lord, we know, we recognize that our nation hates children uh, because our nation hates you. And the fact that Roe has now been struck down is uh, something that we do not deserve. That is a kindness from you. That is a mercy from you. And so we give you praise. We give you honor. Uh, we give you thanks. We recognize that this is, uh, many Christians have worked towards this, uh, but ultimately you are the one who brought this about. It is your sovereign providence. It is your doing. It is your grace. And so we honor and acknowledge you. We give you praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Two things. There's only two things I have to say. Number one, um, we, we've got to have a couple takeaways. I am concerned that many Christians are going to miss a few things here. Number one, voting matters. Voting matters. Really, you're gonna talk about, yeah, I'm gonna talk about that. Voting matters. If Hillary Clinton had been president in 2016, this would not happen, all right? And I know people hate to do this. And here's the deal, this is not an intellectual problem. This is Romans one. Romans one says that the problem with man is not intellectual. It is not that God has not revealed enough of his character. It's not that there's not enough evidence. It's not that there's not enough facts that point towards the existence of God and not just an ethereal deity, but, but the triune God of the Bible. His attributes have been clearly displayed by what he has made, his eternal power, his uh, eternal nature, his divine power. These things are clearly seen. And the Bible says in Romans 1, they're not just clearly displayed by God, but the message is received. They are clearly perceived. So man's hangup is not intellectual. It is first and foremost moral. It is not that people rebel against God because God has failed. See, that's an indictment. It's an accusation against God. The, the logic goes like this. God, you failed 
to prove your own existence, and because you failed to supply enough evidence for your existence, I responded with the only way that I could, with ignorance, and then out of my ignorance, I'm rebelling, I'm simply rebelling against a God that I don't even know exists. The Bible says it's the opposite. God has not failed. Who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? Let God be true and every man a liar. You don't get to sit in the judgment seat and put God on trial. God is the judge of the living and the dead. God is the king of heaven and earth. We don't get to judge God. And what God's word says is this. It doesn't say that God failed in his provision to supply sufficient evidence. Therefore, we were ignorant. And because we were ignorant, we couldn't help but rebel. No, the Bible says God clearly displayed enough evidence and the message was not just given, it was received. This is all Romans 1 and then later, uh, furthermore, in Romans chapter 2. So God revealed himself, man perceived it, but then what man does is he lies and suppresses the truth in his deeds of wickedness, his deeds of unrighteousness. And then he becomes progressively more and more blinded. So man is ignorant. The question is chicken or the egg? What came first? The Bible says rebellion came first, and therefore, because man morally wants to rebel against God, he doesn't want to submit to the Lordship of Christ, because he is rebellious, he then suppresses the truth so that he becomes increasingly and progressively ignorant. So it's not that God failed to provide evidence about himself, therefore man is ignorant, and because man is ignorant, he cannot help but rebel against a God that he doesn't even know exists. No, no, no. God revealed himself, man received the message, but man hates God. Romans chapter 8, apart from saving grace, apart from salvation, Romans 8 says that mind, the mind of the sinful man, it's not indifferent, it's not neutral, it's not ignorant, it is hostile towards God and his law, at enmity with God. So man is rebellious, God did not fail, God revealed himself, man hates God, and because man hates God, he suppresses the truth about God and, and gives himself over further and further and further to ignorance. Now, all that being said, all that being said, we have to be aware. We have to be aware. The first thing that we need to take away is that voting actually does matter. It does. It does. If, if, if evangelicals had listened to our high priest in Big Eva and the third wayism of guys like Tim Keller, Guys who, who made arguments like Thibidi, um, Thibidi uh, and Buile, who said, you know, you can vote for Hillary, right? Trump is bad, Hillary's bad, but at least Hillary, we have a game plan because we've had her husband as president before. The enemy that we know is better than the enemy that we don't. That third wayism. Here's the problem. Republicanism is not, you've heard me say it, you need to hear it again. Republicanism is not synonymous with the Bible. Republicans hate you. They do. But they hate you less than Democrats. And that's the problem is that there's a lot of guys in, in conservative Christians who are very aware, and they're right, but they're very aware of the problems with the Republican Party. And they're very aware uh, that, that this is not synonymous with, with the Bible, with God's law, God's standards, and all that is true. All that is true. The Republican Party is sinful. But the problem is then you got guys like Tim Keller who play off of that. And they say, well, there's Democrats and oh, there's Republicans, uh, but then there's the third way of Jesus. But what it implies, what it implies is that Republican Party 
policies and Democrat Party policies are equally distant from Christ. No, they're both distant from Christ. They're both bad. They're both sinful. They both have problems. Not equally. 49 Democrats, when, when it was leaked from the Supreme Court, what they were going to do, what we're now seeing, when that information was leaked, 49 out of 50 Democrats got together and voted to codify Roe into law, and not just Roe, but, but beyond Roe, that you could murder your child, your unborn child, in any state for any reason, all the way up until the baby comes fully out of the birth canal. 49 out of 50 Democrats. See, there was a time, right, the Overton window, there was a time in American politics, in our two-party system, where, you know, you, you might be able to say, I don't think you could ever vote for a Democrat, but it, it, it was less clear. It was less clear. It was like, well, there's some people on this side, something. A, a pro-life Democrat is like a unicorn. I think there's literally, there, there's like one or two of them in the nation, in the nation, right? There was a time where there were pro-life Democrats. That was a thing. That was a thing. That's not the case anymore. And, and so this idea of third wayism, oh, well, you know, you really, all that does, this is, this is the, the tactic. All that does is it assuages the conscience of Christians to vote for a Democrat or not vote at all. Not vote at all. If enough evangelicals, right? Because when Trump got ele elected, who, who, was, who were all the pagans mad at? Who were all the liberals mad at? They said they told us explicitly who they were mad at. White cisgendered evangelical men. So by by the Democrats, by their own acknowledgement, by their own admission, evangelicals got Trump elected. And if evangelicals had listened, here's the irony, had listened to the leaders in evangelicalism in Big Eva, we would not have gotten Trump elected. We would have had Hillary. And if we had Hillary, we would not have the three Supreme Court picks that Trump gave us, and we would not have Roe overturned. So the first lesson that Christians, you got to connect the dots, right? That's why I did the whole Romans 1 spill. That applies to non-Christians, but I think there's a loose application, right? I think there's a principle that can be applied. Explicitly, Romans 1 is talking about non-Christians. But Christians, listen up. I think the principle, there is a loose application. We claim ignorance, a lot of times, but the problem is not ignorance, the problem is rebellion. We say, oh, well, intellectually, I just didn't know a bunch about politics, or I didn't know this, I didn't know... No, 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 no. No, you, you weren't ignorant. Your problem is not your IQ. It, your problem is not... You can be faithful and simple. You can. The book of Proverbs talks about wisdom again and again. It has nothing to do with a high IQ. Wisdom, wisdom is not about being the world's most intelligent person. Wisdom is sticking to the script. Wisdom is, it's always linked in the book of Proverbs. It's always linked not with intellect, but with humility. Wisdom and humility are two peas in a pod. They go hand in hand. So, so you can be dumb and wise. At the very same way, at the very same time, and when I say dumb, what I mean in this case is you can be not the sharpest tool in the shed, not the brightest crayon in the box. You know, you you can you can be someone who who does not have a hundred and forty you know IQ, and yet you can be wise by God's standards, by biblical standards, simply because you're humble. And what does humility look like? Let's not leave it up for interpretation. Humility looks like submission to the lordship of Christ. 
It looks like following the script. It looks like not thinking you are smarter than God. It looks like obedience. Humility looks like obedience to God's word. And so all, all this stuff, we, I don't want to just leave to Christians. I know this seems simple, like we can just assume, but I'm done assuming. I'm over the last few years, if there's anything we've learned, we've learned that we cannot just assume that people are getting the message. So, so if you were a kid and you'd ever did that, you know, the drawing where you're, you're drawing uh, by dots, connecting the dots and you're like, what's it going to be? Is it going to be a puppy or a cat or a rainbow or, you know, and you're connecting the dots. This is not like 50 different dots that need to be connected or 500. This is two dots that I'm about to do for, for you. It's a straight line from one dot one inch over to a second dot. That's how simple this is. Roe is overturned because Trump was elected. There you go. One dot, second dot. It's that simple. Well, no, 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 no. Be quiet. You're wrong. One dot, second dot. Trump was elected. Roe was overturned. That simple. It, it, it really is that simple. Now, that being said, I understand that some Christians did not vote for Trump because they had no clue, right? We had no clue, right? He was running as a conservative, right? But that's the same as like Dr. Oz, right? I mean, maybe he turns out to be conservative, but based off of his past policies his, his, or his past opinions, uh, what, what he's done, his history, we have no reason. And, and so that's fair to say in the case of Trump, we had no reason. But here's the deal. We had evangelicals. They weren't just saying we can't trust Trump. That, that was a reasonable argument in 2016. But they weren't just saying that in 2015. They were saying we should vote for Hillary. Or we should just not vote at all. Or, or your vote can literally, you can just draw lots. You know, you can roll the dice. Hillary or Trump, it's exactly, no, 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 no. No, Trump, we didn't know if we could trust him. Maybe he won't be pro-life. But we knew Hillary would not be pro-life. We knew that. We knew that she would be the most progressive, um, um, ag aggressive, uh, pro-murder, pro-abortion president that our nation had ever seen in its 250 years of existence. We knew that. Trump, we, th there wasn't a lot of certainty. But, but Hillary, there was certainty. We were certain that she wanted to murder children. If Trump had not been elected, this would not have happened. Again, this is not saying Trump's a Christian. Oh, Trump is great. I'm not saying any, I'm not saying all of his policies were great. I don't like what he did with the vaccine. Let me just be honest. I don't like what Trump did with the vaccine. I don't like what he did with the stimulus package. And I'll tell you especially what I don't like. I don't like that Trump put Fauci, an unelected official, and gave him more power than any American politician, because that's what he was, any American politician has ever had before. Trump anointed priest Fauci. We need to remember that, right? People say, well, I don't, I don't like Trump because of his tweets. Well, grow up. Grow up, okay? Put your big boy pants on. We live in the world. It's the real world. Grow up. Trump's tweets, right? His tweets were not Christian tweets, okay? So I'm not vouching for him, his tweets. I'm not, I'm not um, saying that that was a good thing. But what I'm saying is my problem with Trump was a real problem. This is the problem that, that Christians should have had. Not his rhetoric, not his tweets. That's a problem. But it is a small problem in comparison with what he did with Fauci. That's the real problem. And that's why I am a little bit hesitant. I mean, if Trump is on the ballot versus Biden, yeah, I'm voting for Trump, of course, because I'm a Christian, of course. And yes, it is that simple. 
it is, that's the two dots again. One dot, straight line to the second dot. It is that simple. Trump or Biden, you vote for Trump, period, period. That said, if I have a choice between like someone like Trump and DeSantis, I would pick Ron DeSantis. I would. So Trump's problem was not his rhetoric. That was a problem. But the problem was the way that he dealt with things in 2020. A lot of the stuff that the Democrats have done have made it far, far, far worse. And they've done it with their eyes wide open. And it's fair to say that in 2020, Trump had a lot less information. That's true. But Trump did a bad job. A lot of the things that have hurt our culture and our society over these last two years, Trump started. You got to remember that Trump started those things. So all that being said, I am not, I am not some radical MAGA Trumper. I'm not. But if you've got Trump and Hillary Clinton in 2016 on the ballot, the choice is clear. And, and thank God, thank God that enough Christians voted for Trump or this would not be happening with Roe being overturned, period. It is that simple. So lesson number one that, that you might say, Joel, do people really need to hit? Yes. Yeah, they need to hear this. Lesson number one, voting actually matters. Here, here I'll, I'll say it like this. Perhaps you've heard this said in, in pulpits again and again and again. You know, the world will never change by legislation. Um, it's only going to change by heart transformation, right? And we immediately say, oh, that must be universally true because a preacher said it and it rhymes, right? The standard for truth is not God's word and exegesis. The standard for truth is rhyming. Right. And I know I'm, I'm being facetious, but but we, we act like that sometimes. Oh, that was a good statement. Oh, OK, but but dig into it a bit. Right. So the world will never change. Cultures never change. Nations never change by legislation, but by heart transformation. This is what I want uh, for people to understand. No, it, it's both. It is primarily, fundamentally the gospel conversion, heart transformation. It is. That is always number one. That is always number one, that we would fulfill the Great Commission, we would preach the gospel, we would make disciples, we would baptize the nations into the name of the triune God and teach them to obey all of Christ's commands. That is always primary, conversion, heart transformation. But that is not at the expense of anything and everything else. If no, one, no extra people are converted, but abortion is made illegal and criminalized. And some states will do it. It's going to take some time, but some states will do it. If abortion is made not only illegal, it can't be, um, it can't be accessed, but it's actually criminalized. Like there are actual penalties. And I would advocate as a Christian that it should be equal penalties. Equal penalties, right, for murder. If, if you commit a homicide in any other kind of arena, this is the penalty, okay? Abortion is homicide. It should be the same penalties. I argue for equal penalties because equal penalties mean equal protection. And equal protection for, for, for the unborn and the born means... Well, equal penalties, equal protection means equal value. How can you say, think about this for a second. This is the logic. Again, connecting dots. This is three dots, but still not hard. Equal penalties means equal protection. Equal protection for born and unborn means equal value. If you don't have equal penalties for, for murder in the womb, 
than you do for murder outside of the womb, then, then you don't have an equal incentive deterring people from murdering one class of person from another class, which means you have two different classes of people. And the unborn child is something with, with less value, less dignity. We can still say, oh, they have some value. They even have a lot of value, but less value than the person who is born. You, you have, that is the conclusion. You have to admit that. If you don't think there should be equal penalties, then there's not equal protection. If there's not equal protection, then there's not equal value, period. And the unborn child becomes a subclass of human beings. Have you ever heard that rhetoric in our nation's history before? Where one group of people is, is, is viewed and, and, and labeled as a subclass. They're human, but not quite, not fully. And so, and so we're going to have separate but equal kind of things going. Uh, remember that? That didn't go well, right? Uh, on the right side of history now, we all look back and say that that was, that was heinous. That was inexcusable. You want to be on the right side of history? Don't just be pro-life. You want to be on the right side of history? You, you must say that abortion is murder and it should be treated as such. And that, that unborn children don't just have value. They have equal value to those who are born. They are human beings, fully human, with the same degree of value. Therefore, they deserve the same degree of protection. Therefore, we must have equal weights and balances, equal penalties under the law. Now, all that being said, it's going to be a long time till, till we get there. But immediately what we'll see is we'll see some states making abortion completely banned. Then what we want to work towards is is abortion being criminalized. And, and what we really want to see is it criminalized by the same standard as any other kind of murder. And I'm not saying we should work towards that incrementally. I'm just saying that's what's going to happen. That's probably what's going to happen. I think we should just go ahead and, and skip right to the end, to that third dot and say, we are working for abortion being abolished, that it is illegal, it is criminalized, and it has the same penalties as murder in any other case scenario. I think that's what Christians, that should be our game plan. But my, my, my point is this, this is going to start happening. It's going to be slow. It's going to be state by state. It's going to start happening. And this is amazing. We still have a lot of work to do, is what I'm saying. We have a lot of work to do. But this is awesome. Now, some of you, you might say, well, Roe versus Wade being overturned, you know, that doesn't really mean anything at all. You're right. Objectively, objectively, and in a legal standpoint, why were Democrats scrambling over the last few months trying to codify Roe? Because it was never law. It was never law. It was a Supreme Court opinion that individual states with their own state rights and state governments and state constitutions could have foregone for the last 49 years. Did you know that? That's another thing. I, I titled the, you know, this video, Things That Christians Need to Know, that they probably don't. Did you know that states, if they actually were pro-life, if they actually cared about unborn children, like they claimed to, they could have ignored Roe for the last 49 years. Did you know that? Because they have a state constitution. You might say, well, what about the federal constitution? Well, first, that gets into a whole, you know, <laughs> argument about states' rights versus national rights. And I would argue for the states' rights trumping that. But here's the deal. The, the, our federal constitution, th there is no provision for abortion. 
That is a made up right. That's a made up right. If anything, and I would, I would argue this, uh, we have the 14th Amendment that is, that is for life, even in the womb. So, so for 49 years, states could have been operating, if they were truly pro-life, if they were truly conservative, they could have been operating as though Roe was never a thing. Why? Because Roe was never a thing. It wasn't. So then what does this mean? Right? What does it mean that Rose overturned, right? If nothing really is changing because we could have been doing this all along, what, what does this mean? In the providence of God, this is what it means. In God's mercy and providence, what it means is now the hypocrites have no excuse. They never had an excuse, but now it'll be blatantly obvious. It'll be visible. It'll be visible. Now you'll be able to look at your state governor and say, oh, you hate children. You, you, you're a Republican that hates children. You want them dead. You do. Oh, no, no, I don't want them. To, no, you do. You hate God and you hate his image and the unborn child and you want them dead. Because if you didn't, if you didn't, Roe's been overturned. That's what you've been hiding behind. That's been your excuse. That, that, that's, that's the explanation you've been given for the last 49 years. And now nothing's stopping you. So now we're going to get to see with red states like mine, Texas, and I know I'm going to be disappointed. I'll, I'll say it right now. I'm going to be disappointed. Texas is going to probably make, this is my prediction, it'll make abortion illegal, but not criminalize it. And if it, there are criminal uh, um, consequences, penalties, it'll be like a thousand dollar fine for abortion doctors, but the woman, she's really a victim. Or $10,000 fine for the abortion doctor who is a hitman. That's a serial killer. How would we treat a serial killer in any other scenario? And the mother, right? Believe all women, worship women. No, mm -mm, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian pastor. I don't do that crap. No, I, I, I don't worship Jezebel. I worship Jesus. I'll say that again, because some of you, you're not used to a pastor who doesn't worship Jezebel. I worship Jesus. Women are not victims, not an abortion. The baby is a victim. The baby is a victim. And that woman who goes and gets an abortion, we don't just penalize the serial killer hitman, AKA the abortion doctor, and we certainly don't penalize him with a fine. He should get the death penalty. And that woman, she, I mean, what, what would you do with a mother who brought, right? This is how you can tell if there's equal weights and measures. Just change the scenario. What would you do with a mother who brought her three-year-old son to a hitman in, 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 a, in a basement underground? And, and then she held down her three-year-old child and the hitman took a lethal injection and put it into his veins and killed him. And she then paid him. What, what, would, we, what would we call that? We'd say that she murdered the child. And if the father is involved and gives his consent, he's also a murderer. And if he coerces the mother to do that, then she might be innocent in that case. And only in that case, she might be innocent. And then therefore the father and the abortion doctor are murders. This is not rocket science. It's not. But Christians don't get this. This is not rocket science. So what we're going to see is we're going to see red states pretend to be red. And now that Roe is overturned, they always could have been doing this. But now that it's overturned, the veil, that thin veil that they were hiding behind. Oh, we really want to love children. We just can't. Our hands are tied behind our back. That was always a lie. Now everyone gets to see it. 
Everyone gets to see it. And that is God's mercy. That, that is a good thing. That's a good thing. So I am praising God that Roe is going to be overturned. I'm praising God for that. I am. Because not it is a mercy when God, in his sovereignty and in his love, exposes sin. Did you know that? In love, God exposes sin. Do not take part in the deeds done in darkness and wickedness, but rather expose them. Ephesians 5, 11. I mean, even when, when Jesus uh, confronted the rich young ruler, the Bible says he looked at him, Jesus looked at him and loved him, and then called out his sin. That is a mercy of God to expose sin. And that's what we're going to see. It's a mercy towards the sinner, the hypocrite themselves, but it's also a mercy to everybody else so that we would not be deceived, so that Christians wouldn't be led on. So we're going to get to see now. We're going to get to see who is actually someone who loves children in the womb, and more importantly than that, who is actually going to obey the law of God. Who is actually a serious follower of Jesus? Who's going to stand up for true biblical values? Who's going to uphold God's standard and not man's fluctuating standard? I, I, I don't want any more conservatives. I don't want just conservatives. Conservatism is just, is just progressive, pro progressives and their policies 10 years behind. That's all it is. So no, I'm not, I'm not interested in, in walking just a little slower to hell as a nation. I'm not interested in that. I don't want us just to walk to hell a little bit slower. I, I actually, <laughs> I've used this argument before. I don't even want to be called a conservative. I do call myself a conservative because people know what it means and words matter. But, but if I want to be technical, this is what I would call myself. And it sounds funny, but a progressive. Meaning uh, there, there are progressives that are actually regressives. They want to go backwards into filth and muck and mire. That's what a progressive is in our nation. They're not a progressive. They're a regressive. They want us to go backwards into insanity. So we have regressives, alleged progressives. We have conservatives who are actually just slower regressives. And then we have actual conservatives who are like, here I stand. I will not budge. And then we have the true progressives who are like, no, 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 I'm not just conserving. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to win. I'm not just conserving. I I'm fighting. I'm going to win. We're, we're not just going to say, we won't get any more sinful than this, Jesus. No, no, we're going to get better than this. Jesus, we're going to repent. We're going to pursue righteousness. And we're going to do it first and foremost, as I said earlier, by preaching the gospel and heart transformation. Yes, but we're also going to do it through legislation. So back to that whole, that rhyming thing. Oh, the world doesn't change by legislation, but heart transformation. Yeah, first and foremost, heart transformation. But legislation matters. And because legislation matters, voting matters. Uh, let, let me illustrate the point. Do you know how many annual homicides we have? And now it's ticked up, but this was a few years ago. But do you know how many annual homicides we have in the United States of America as a whole each year? 16,000. Do you know how many uh, abortions we have annually in the United States of America? Almost a million. And, and just for the record, that doesn't even count the morning after pill. That, that is, there are other abortions that we don't even know about. Okay? So that's a low estimate. So a million abortions, murder in the womb. 
and then 16,000 homicides, murder, out of the womb. Think about that for a second. Let, let me make it real clear. I don't want you guys to miss this. I'm going to force you to connect the dots. In America, each year, 16,000 people murdered who were outside of the womb. One million people murdered inside the womb. Why? What, what, what would contri contribute to such a massive difference in the statistics? Legislation. It turns out that murderers tend to gravitate towards whatever form of murder is legal. Whoa, shocking. Murderers, if given, here, here's the options of, of who to murder and how to murder. Oh, there's one group of people that we can murder in one particular way and there's no consequences. Okay, we'll do that. See, people, this is, people don't understand the law of God, and they don't understand not just the divisions of the law, right, his moral, civil, ceremonial, but they don't, under, they don't understand the three uses of the law. The first use of the law is to reveal to us our sin. We see the law of God, we see his holiness because of his holy law, and by consequence, we see our sinfulness, and it doesn't save us, but it drives us to Christ who saves us. So the first use of the law is not saving the law doesn't say, no man will be saved by works as done unto the law. The law doesn't save us, but the law reveals our need for a savior. Charles Spurgeon, he once said, a man cannot appreciate the necessity or the beauty of Christ without first coming to see the necessity for Christ. You gotta see how much you need Jesus before you actually desire Jesus. And you'll never see how much you need Jesus unless you see that God is holy and you are not. That's the first use of the law. The law does that. All right, and then we also have the third, Lutherans argue it's the second, but third use of the law. Third use of the law is it doesn't just reveal my need for a savior, point me towards Christ and the gospel, but the law also is a lamp unto my feet. It's a, it, it guides me. It directs me. It's a compass. So the law is a mirror. It reveals my need for a savior and drives me to Christ. It's also a compass. It directs me in which way to go. It lights the path. The path to salvation. No. No, the gospel is the path to salvation. No, it's the path from salvation. It shows me not, not how to obey so that I can be saved. No, it shows me how to obey because I've already been saved. It shows me how to respond in love for God because he first loved me. How to respond in obedience as, as, a, as an act of gratitude for the free salvation I have by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So the law works as a mirror. It reveals my need for a savior. It works as a compass. It shows me where to go. Because, because God loved me first in the gospel, and I've been saved by grace alone, I now want to respond with love for God. Well, what does Jesus say? If you love me, you'll obey me. Obey what? God's law, right? Okay, but here's the other use of God's law that people don't get. The second use of God's law is this. It's, it's mirror, it's compass, it's also shield. And this function of the law of God works not just in individuals, but whole cultures and societies. And it doesn't just work for the Christian or the elect who is going to become a Christian, who's being drawn by the Holy Spirit unto salvation. It works for the unregenerate pagan. It's a shield. The law of God restrains evil. It doesn't do anything to restrain evil at the level of the heart. Okay? So I'm not saying that the law of God, when legislated through righteous policies, righteous laws by the civil magistrate, I'm not saying that that changes the heart. And I'm not saying that that restrains evil at the level of thoughts and intentions and desires, the heart. 
But what it does do is that the law of God in its second use as a shield, it has a common grace benefit, not just for the Christian, but even for the non-Christian, it holds evil at bay. Heart level evil? No, outward manifestations of evil. More people would do more crimes if everything was permissible, if there were no penalties, right? That's what we see. We saw all these get loose on crime, a thousand dollar bail for, for, you know, horrible criminals. And then they get out and they go commit crime again. But, but we've seen this uptick in crime in our big blue cities in our nation, like, like New York, for instance, like LA, because of, of a lessening of laws against crime and penalties for criminals. So one of the functions of the law is that when we have good laws, and what makes a law good? Is it according to God's standard? And, and good penalties, strict, swift penalties, again, according to God's standard, guess what? Hearts change. No, I'm not saying that. Because some of you are going to say, oh, you're legalist. No, I'm not saying that. It doesn't change hearts. It changes actions. Only the gospel will change the heart. So I'm not saying we need to do anything um, as a substitute to preaching the gospel. I'm saying we need to do more. We can never do anything less than preaching the gospel. But oh, how we need to do more. We need to vote. We need to vote. And we need to vote for those who will actually put in righteous laws with righteous penalties that will not change people's heart, but will hold back, will restrain the outward manifestations of evil so that we live in a more peaceable, flourishing society. That's, that's reformed theology of the law of God 101. And just for the record, Tim Keller knows that. Like some guys are just, they're, they're just theologically illiterate. They're biblically illiterate. Right? They're just, they're, the theology is weak. They're just weak. Tim Keller, that, that's what's so scary about Tim Keller. He's not done. Right? Uh, G.K. Chesterton, he, he said, Don't never attribute to malice what can easy, easily be explained by stupidity. The problem with Tim Keller is he's got cancer and he's dying right now. And he's not stupid. That only leaves one option. Malice on your deathbed? Not a good place to be. We should pray for Tim Keller. But we need to pray that God, I, I don't know, that God would either save him, that's, a, that's an actual possibility, that he may not be saved, or that God would grant him the gift of repentance for ongoing sin, continual deception. Tim Keller, he is a water carrier for the Democrat Party and has been for years, for years. If Tim Keller and Thabiti and Eric Mason, and if, they, if these guys had their way, it's my whole point, going back all the way to the beginning, if they had their way, Hillary would have been president instead of Trump. And all those Christians who are clapping and praising God, thank you, God. Yeah, yeah, thank God. But, but also, um, open your eyes and figure out how God did this. God does things because he's sovereign. But God's sovereignty... It takes place through human agency and means. God's sovereign ends of what he brings about, he brings about through means, through means. And the means of overturning Roe was Trump, like him or not. And if it had been Hillary, it wouldn't have happened. 
And what made the difference between Trump being president and Hillary not? Voting. And according to Democrats, by their own admission, the evangelical vote. Praise God that evangelicals did not listen to the leaders in evangelicalism. Praise God that evangelicals didn't listen to the ERLC and Russell Moore. Praise God they didn't listen to Tim Keller. Praise God. Now, sadly, I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. Sadly, I think too many evangelicals listened to John Piper on this last election and the article that he wrote about, oh, you, you can vote for Trump or Biden. No, he didn't explicitly say that, but that was the implication. You know it was the implication. The implication, was he set up a false dichotomy. You can vote for Trump, but man, he's really, really arrogant. Or you can vote for Biden, but, but he's pro-abortion. And then the whole article was, but really, arrogance and its effects might be just as bad as murder. I'll tell you what, the first thing that was wrong with that, first thing that was wrong with that is, is it's a false dichotomy. This is what he's doing. Piper was saying Trump has a monopoly on the sin of pride. Listen, the, the pro-abortion guy, Biden, think about this for a second. This is so simple. You can't murder children humbly. That was the, the implication of John Piper's article. You have pride, a candidate who embodies the sin of pride, and another one who embodies the sin of murder. But pride might be just as bad as murder. AKA, you can vote for either or, or not vote at all. And now we have Biden. John Piper, I guarantee you, John Piper is responsible for assuaging the conscience of thousands. I don't know if it was enough to turn the vote, but thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Christians to vote for Biden or to at least not vote for Trump. John Piper hurt us. Now, the nice thing about John Piper that's different than Tim Keller, Tim Keller said he's not stupid, which only leaves one option, malice. John Piper, by God's grace, to John Piper's own benefit, he's a little stupid. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. John Piper is brilliant with a lot of theology, uh, but he does not know politics. John Piper does not understand civil policy. He does not understand the political realm, the civil magistrate. He, he just, he doesn't. He just doesn't. That, that's a weak point. John Piper has a lot of strengths, but that is a weak point of, of John Piper's ministry. You look at the last 50 years of him ministering, um, John Piper in many ways is a pietist. He talks about the glory of God. Exult in the glory of God, enjoying God, desiring God, and it's good. It's, it's the Edwards, Jonathan Edwards kind of stuff. It, it's, it's some of the best of Edwards. But, but what it misses, it, well, for one, it misses Edwards' post-millennialism, and Edwards was post-mill. And it misses application. That's what John Piper, see, you can say it like this. John Piper is a pietist, good theology, but, but he doesn't apply it. Whereas Tim Keller is a Marxist bad theology, and he does apply it. Let me say that again. Piper, pietist. Good theology, but he, he won't apply it. It's just home of the church, home of the church. And then Tim Keller, bad theology, and gosh, that guy is not a two kingdom. That's a Kuyperian if there ever has been one. And the problem is not his Kuyperianism. The, the problem is Tim Keller's Marxism applied to every realm, culture, arts, politics. So my point in all this is to say, who you vote for matters. That's number one. Number two, I've already covered it, so I'll just end it briefly with this. Number two, is it God in his mercy is lifting the thin veil. Now we get to see who the hypocrites are.
Now we get to see who the Pharisees are. And we already have a really good idea. We've already seen a lot of them. This is God just doing what he's been doing for the last two years. The last two years, people did not magically get more wicked in the last two years. No, God in his mercy through COVID and through this and through that, God just lifted the veil and let us see how wicked people had always been. People are not getting more wicked. God just lifted the veil and we got to see how wicked people have always been. And now we get to see it in this arena with abortion. We're going to get to see how many Republicans, how many pro-lifers, how many conservatives hate children. And, and, and my counsel to you, Christian, ignore them. Call them out because Jesus does that. He calls people out and call them out by name like I've been doing in this video. There's a biblical precedent for that. Call them out, but then, but then go right around them and do the works of righteousness. Obey God's law. Uh, preach the gospel. Vote the right way according to God's standards. Listen, <laughs> Christ is subjecting all of his enemies one by one as a footstool for his feet. Secularism and modernity and all the crap that's come out of it, feminism, abortion, all these things, sexual immorality and perversion, it's, it's all going to fall. You want to be on the right side of history? It's easy. Be on Jesus' side. You know why his side's the right side of history? Because Jesus wins. Jesus isn't a loser. Well, what about the crucifix? Yeah, that, that's how he wins. Jesus won by dying. But guess what? He's not dead anymore. A lot of Christians, they, they, it's like they miss that. Jesus died. That, that's part of the gospel story. That, that's the pinnacle. That's, that's paramount. Jesus died. It's true. Praise God. But, but did you know he, he also rose again? He's not dead. He's alive. And, and he didn't just rise from the grave. He then ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. He is ruling and reigning. He is not just uh, Ortland's, you know, eat your heart out. You know, uh, he, he is not just Jesus, meek and mild. He is Jesus, militant and triumphant. King Jesus, ruling, reigning. And as Matthew Henry, the late great Puritan said, every knee will bow. And those knees that will not bow will break because he who rules the universe, not just heaven, but earth with an iron scepter, he will shatter their kneecaps on that day. And he is doing it through his church. Hell is on the defense. The gates, not the weapons, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the battering ram of the church that Christ Jesus, our commander and chief, is wielding against these false demonic ideologies. They will fall. And if you want to be on the right side of history, then join Jesus and join us. Laugh at the wickedness of our day. Call it out. Mock it, that is appropriate, righteous response. Mock it, and then get to work. But don't you just sit around and complain. And don't be surprised. I've been telling you this, Doug Wilson's been telling you this, uh, Jeff Durbin, my goodness, on the issue of abortion, he's been telling you this for like 10 years, 15, 20 years. He's been saying, it's never been about Roe. Roe was always an illusion. States could have always ignored Roe. So don't be surprised because faithful men, better men than me, I'm one of them, but better men than me, longer than me, they've been telling you this. So don't be surprised and don't just sit around and complain. Build. Build. 
Right? That, that, that's, what, that's what conservatives do all the time. I'll end with this. This is what conservatives do all the time, and Christians do it too. Right? It's the four Bs. You've probably heard me say this before. Right? First, we get beat. Got to do that, right? Because what is a Christian who, who, who ever is successful? I mean, that, isn't that bad? Does God want us to be successful? If I'm being successful, something must be wrong. I, I need to lose. I've got to lose. Right? So one, Christians get beat. Uh, number two, once you get beat, bemoan, complain, whine. Number three, boycott. We got to boycott something. Got to boycott Disney. I'm boycotting Disney, but Chris, we do it for like like three weeks. Uh, so get beat, bemoan, boycott, and then the fourth B. What is it? Get beat, bemoan, boycott. Oh, and then beg. Beg for donations. Beg. The fifth B that we need, true Christians, they, they don't get beat all the time, and sometimes they do. But it's not that's not the goal. We're not trying to get beat. And, and when we do get beat, we don't just bemoan and complain. And we don't just boycott. And we don't just beg for donations. No, the fifth B is build. Real Christians build. They'll get beat sometimes. We're going to lose some battles. But, but, but they don't just whine and complain and beg for donations. And, and we ask for donations. We are a nonprofit religious organization. And some of you might be called, like me, to start a podcast and pastor a church and these kinds of things. Praise God. Do it. But you know what? The, the vast majority of you listening to me, please don't start a podcast. The vast majority of you, you know what you need to do? Start a for-profit business. Build something. Run for, for, uh, run for some kind of civil office. Run for mayor. Run for your city council. The, don't just bemoan. Don't just complain. Don't just boycott. Win. Build. Build in, in, in the... The marketplace, build in the civil magistrate by running for office and, and voting. Uh, build in the arts. Some of you guys, you're graphic designers. Some of you, you're film guys. Some of you, you're Christians and you quit working for Disney just a few weeks ago because of what they've done. Start your own company. Start building. Get together. Find each other somehow. Network. Do something. You can. I know you can. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm trying to comfort you and console you and encourage you. You can do it. You're gifted. You're gifted. Look, look, we've got the book. We've got the Bible. We know the answers. Liberals are not beating us because they're better than us. It's just they're beating us because they actually play. They actually play to win. And we keep forfeiting because we think losing is the goal. So stop it. That's my pastoral counsel. Stop it. All right. I love you guys. Let's win this. We got it. Thanks so much for listening, but real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.